News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's International Failure Day. Or International Day of fa- Day for Failures. Right, right. The International Day for Failures. So uh, we celebrate failure. It's a common theme in all of the stories, all the topics today. It's all about the failuring uh, because it's International Failure Day. Uh, actually, it, it was started as a way to kind of encourage the Finnish people uh, from taking risks, entrepreneurially speaking, because apparently their culture really, really tries to avoid failure. And uh, it's like a stigma, a very bad stigma. Uh, and so they don't engage in startups. They don't engage in risky behavior, starting businesses as much because uh, just culturally they're not attuned to it, uh, uh, which is kind of weird to hear this you know, this this idea as a as an American, it's it's just odd to me at least. It's just kind of odd. Um, let me see here. This is I got an email here from Denny who says, uh, Pete, in the immortal words of Steven Tyler, you got to lose to know how to win. Fail forward, my friend. Right. That's the <clears throat> that's the. Uh, that's the the big deal about it is that you you fail, you learn, and then you you move forward. You you adopt those things that you realize don't work. That's the market sending you a signal, right? One, remember hearing this a long time ago that winning um, tends to mask problems. And think about it in terms of uh, you know a, a team, right? A, a football team, and you're winning all the time, and uh, you know, like you're winning and winning and winning, and you just like you're getting tired of winning. You're winning so much, and then uh, you got some problems that are under the surface that you don't know about because you're winning, and so don't change anything because we're winning. And then all of a sudden, you run into a uh, a team that exposes that weakness, that problem, and you just get blown out. But you had no idea that that weakness was there because. You are winning. Losing, and the same thing in politics, right, where if you're, this was a problem for Democrats for a very long time, right? Democrats, they they kept winning, and so they were never forced to kind of reassess their positions on things. And whenever they lose, what do they usually say? That it's because, uh, you know, people didn't understand our message. We didn't get it out well enough. We didn't knock on enough doors. People didn't hear us. That was it. It's not that they heard the message, didn't like the message, rejected the message. That's not the case. It's that they didn't hear the message or they didn't understand the message, right? That's the, that's the real issue. Um, thinking outside the box. Pete, sometimes you can carry thinking outside the box way too far. I don't think that's possible at all. Uh, Jay says, Pete, I think WBT has one of the best lineups it has had in the 28 years I have been in Charlotte. I love the show. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm sure the uh, the boss uh, who built the lineup, Mike Schaefer, uh, he will appreciate that as well. I will send it over to him. Uh, Gregory says, Pete, I'm just finishing listening up uh, hour three from yesterday's show. And at the end, you mentioned the ongoing political realignment. I'm not sure. If, as a political science undergrad, you know about the term realignment in that particular definition, but if you want to interview somebody on the show, Frank DiStefano would be a great guest. 
I'm reading his book on the next realignment. I'm making plenty of notes in the margins. It is good. Uh, he also has a YouTube that goes through the book and other realignment-related things. Uh, great show. May the realignment lead to 100 years of undoing the progressive populism of FDR and the Democrats. Uh, thank you for the uh, for the kind words. I appreciate that, uh, Gregory. Uh, Gary says, is getting fired a failure? I was wor- I, mean, yeah, I thought it was when I got fired. I had never been fired from a job before I worked here. <laughs> I, I would, in my entire life doing anything, I was never fired. I, I quit every job I had ever had. I was never fired from a job. I think even, well, so I got fired from here, and then I got fired from the station in Asheville. Those are the two jobs uh, that I have never left on my own. And I'm back now, so it's kind of like that's a wash, I think. <laughs> so I had never been fired. So, yes, I took it as a, as a failure because I had no idea – um, well, I mean, and I hadn't done anything specifically. It was a budget move that we had ownership changes. They bought the stations and I was on nine to midnight, not generating any revenue at that time. And, uh, the recession hit. Uh, and so it was just, it, it, all of these things kind of came together and I was, I was there that I was the number to cut. And sometimes that's all it comes down to. And I've said even before, uh, I, I got, uh, let go, not renewed is what they say in the biz. Your your contract was not renewed. Um, and uh, even before that, though, I had always maintained that it's not my job. This job is not my job. It's not. It, I mean, I'm doing it, but the job is the employer's. It's their job. They have hired me to do it. It's not mine. It's theirs. See, and people get this idea in their head that the job they do is theirs, but it's not. And every job has a shelf life, right? Talk to the buggy whip maker. Aha, you can't because there aren't any anymore. Because nobody, actually, that's not true. There probably are some buggy whip makers left on the planet. Um, but jobs come and go, careers come and go because things change. Technology changes. Society doesn't need all of the buggies and all of the whips, which I never understood. Why are you whipping a buggy? It doesn't make It's just you're hitting, you're taking this thing and you're whacking away at a piece of wood. What, and what does that do? I don't know. Maybe people use it to air out their frustrations or something. I don't know. Anyway, the buggy whip maker, you know, no longer exists because it was not needed in the society. And so every job has a shelf life. And if you are in that job, when the shelf life expires, it's, it stinks. It really does. Um, and, you know, people had said, uh, to me at the time, oh, but it wasn't really on you because it was a budgetary move, and this is what I was told. But you always think, and there's always some element of truth that if I was really, really good, they'd have kept me, right? That, and that that's what goes through my mind. So those ideas of you know failure, are you a failure because you got fired? I think that yeah, I think getting fired is interpreted oftentimes as a sign of failure because for whatever reason. The job is no longer yours. Um, anyway, so Gary says, is getting fired a failure? I was working for a major hardware chain store based in North Carolina in a management position. I was burned out and to the point I was ready to leave for a pay cut. And I told the store manager as much. I was fired the next week. But it was a blessing. 
I took a big pay cut and less money than I could have else, uh, elsewhere because an electrical business I interviewed for told me that they would not limit me and I could grow as much as I was willing to. I am at the same company seven years later, taking my state electrical exam in two months. It was a blessing that I needed. I knew I needed the change. This gets to uh, <clears throat> when it comes to firings and career changes. People like the status quo because it's the status quo. It's consistent. It's what you know, right? The brain recognizes uncertainty as inherently more risky, right? But that's where growth occurs. Growth occurs when you push yourself. If you're trying to build muscle, you don't build muscle by not working the muscle, by not pushing the muscle to lift more weight, right? If you want, anybody who's ever worked out knows this, right? That if you want to put on mass, you do low reps, higher weight, right? So you lift heavier things fewer times. That's how you build mass. That's resistance to pressure builds strength. So that's where the growth occurs is in getting outside of your comfort zone, trying new things and all of that. And I did. Like I, I, I show prep now in a different way than I did before. Absolutely. My show now sounds probably a lot different than it did 9 to midnight. No, I shouldn't say a lot different. I mean, it is still me and my voice and my, you know, my uh, disarming wit. Um, and so that I mean, all of that stuff is the constant, but I show prep way more now than I used to. I've always been an over-prepper, but now it's, you know, it's constant and the technology allows for me to do it. But I, I learned things. I, I learned there were things. I learned what I didn't know as well. Things that I had to learn along the way, like how to interact with clients, right? How to get business, the business side of the, uh, of the business, right? The, the sales side of the business. Had to learn a, a lot of that stuff over the years. That's where the growth occurs in, in, in getting outside of your comfort zone. And you never know. You might actually be good at the thing that you were afraid to do. So, Gary, I'm glad to hear your story. I appreciate you sharing it with me. You can email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com because it is the International Day for Failures. (laughs) Yeah, Blues Traveler was just in town. You know, they were out in, uh, or not in town, sorry. They were in Asheville. Just the other day. Although they probably made a... Did they make a stop in Charlotte? No? Would you know this, Bernie? Yeah, look it up. I mean, Well, I mean, if it's already passed, I don't want to... I don't want to let people down. But yeah, he had just... Uh, a friend of mine up in Asheville just sent me a picture the other day that they were in... They were in town. Uh, all right, so let me get to some of the... Uh, uh, some of the crime stats here. Because the crime stats are out, everybody. Yay! Um... Which, remember, we are always treated to the admonition from law enforcement agents and city boosters that uh, these crime stats should not be used to rank cities against each other because you just don't ever know what kind of challenges a specific city is facing. Yeah, I don't buy that either. Uh, That's just what cities say when they rank poorly. Seriously, like cities that come out on top of these lists, they don't ever say, now, 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 everybody, let's not call us the safest city in America. I mean, it's not fair to compare with other cities that have different challenges and blah, 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 blah. 
Yeah. No. Like, if you're ranking cities based on, uh, I don't know, purity of drinking water, right? Let's say you're going to do a ranking and you're going to base it off of some test results of all the water testing. And you're going to say, hey, these cities here had the best results of the testing. Um, Is that a fair comparison? Yeah. Are are there limitations? Sure. Do some cities have challenges that others do not? Of course. Does that make the ranking null? Does it make it void? Does that make it worthless? No, of course not. It is one piece of information. And crime data, uh, crime reporting, coverage of crime, all of these things have to acknowledge, and I always do, that crime is a very complex topic, very complex issue. For example, a lot of people think that if you just watch media and you hear politicians talk, you would think that uh, there is, uh, you know, this this constant uh, racial violence occurring. And that's generally not the case. It's generally not the case. The vast majority, first off, the vast majority of people who are victimized are victimized by people they know. The, the, the random acts of violence are random. They are rarer than people harming others. I'm talking about violent crime specifically here. Uh, violent crime, it, it, people are more likely to be murdered by somebody they know. That's all, and That's been the case my entire adult life. But you don't ever hear that in coverage for some reason. I don't know why. The vast majority of crime occurs white on white, black on black. It's inside the racial categories. People are generally victimizing Criminals are victimizing members of their own class, their own group. That is generally the case. It is generally the case also that our crime rates now are much lower than they were 30 years ago, going into the 90s. Crime rates were much higher in the 70s, 80s. The 90s, we started to see this this, uh, bringing down of the crime rate. And now, yes, it looks like in certain areas it's starting to generally go back up again. But it's lower now than it was back then. Not, And that's not to say that people who are victimized are no less of a victim now just because the rates are lower. They are every much a victim, every bit as much. So all of that being said, all those disclaimers ahead of time, Charlotte-Mecklenburg police say overall crime is up 4.5%. It is up compared to this time last year. Property crime is up about 7%. From 2021, violent crime is down. Violent crime is down 5%. So what does that tell us? Overall, crime is up. Property crime is up. Violent crime is down. What's that tell us? That the increase in crime is largely driven by property crimes, which makes sense because property crimes are the most common of crimes. And uh, there are a lot of cases of them. And when you have a lot of cases of something and you have an increase of 7% of a lot of cases, that's like a lot more crime. And then that's going to drive up the number because the violent crime rate, violent crime, just as a, uh, a, a, a total number the, uh, of the number of crimes, right? Just a total number. It's a smaller number. For example, property crime offenses were about 24,000, right, so far. 
24,000, a little bit more, 24,000 total property crime offenses, 24,000. Violent crime offenses is about 5,500. So roughly 20%, roughly a fifth the total number, right? But the problem here is that there are so 24,000 property crimes, that's above the 22,000 from a year ago. So we're seeing a huge increase in property crimes, percentage-wise, and by total raw number. Um, you add them together, that's how you get to total overall offenses uh, of just under 30,000. So just under 30,000 total offenses. Citizen-initiated calls for service are about more than a quarter of a million, 282,000. That's just a call for service. Doesn't necessarily result in a charge, right? A lot of times you get a call for service and they go out there and, no, we don't see anybody shooting guns out here. Sorry. Um, Total arrests, down. Total arrests are down 2%, which I find interesting with total overall crimes up. But maybe it's because the property crimes, they don't really lead to charges and never have. It's very difficult to convict people of property crimes, right? This idea, of, unless you've been burglarized, you, you have no real experience with this, that uh, this idea that, you know, oh, they can get fingerprints off of stuff. <laughs> no, no, they don't. I mean, maybe they can. It'd be nice if they could, but generally they cannot. And, and the amount of time and resources devoted to, you know, dusting everything for prints and trying to get prints and all that. It's, uh, you know, if you've got limited resources, and let's face it, all resources are finite, particularly in today's defund the police era, um, you, you're going to focus on the violent crimes, right? You're going to send the crime lab out to the violent crime scenes, and you're going to have them working on the stuff where people have been victimized in more brutal ways than having their homes burglarized. Um, if you are to be burglarized... Hope that it happens in warm weather because uh, then people are more likely to leave behind fingerprints because of the oils on the skin. Yeah, if it's cold out, the oils dry up and they don't leave uh, good prints. And uh, uh, hope that they touch a lot of smooth surfaces. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Just some helpful tips for you from someone who knows. So the crime numbers are out there generally as bad as the economic numbers. Although, wait, hang on a second. I saw saw the president. He gave some comments here today. Let me see if I can pull up this. Yeah, here it is. This audio. Here's the president talking about today's inflation report. Um, I think it's all going well. Is uh, All is well. All is well. These days. And today's report shows, though, some progress. Overall, inflation was 2% over the last three months. That's down from 11% over the prior three months. That's progress, but a lot of it is a result of getting the cost of living at the gas pump down by more, not even California now, by more than a dollar nationally and since the start of this summer. There's a big difference for working folks. All right, hang on a second. First off, where does it sound like he is delivering those remarks? You listen to radio. You're you're an audio file, 
right? What does this sound like? Where does where does it sound like? I'm not asking for a specific location. I'm just asking for a general location. I'll give you, here you go. Here are your choices. Inside or outside? Take a listen again. Do you think he's speaking inside or outside? These days. And today's report shows though some progress. Overall, inflation was 2% over the last 3 months. That's down from 11% over the prior 3 months. All right. Inside or outside? Chris, you want to take a guess? Inside. Right, it's pretty obvious, right? And to people who work in audio, <laughs> right, this is pretty obvious. He's speaking inside. That's progress, but a you lot can hear of the echo. result of getting the cost of living at the gas pump down. You can hear the room noise. That's what that hiss is underneath it. Right? But the echo, the, the, the sound waves bouncing off of walls. By more, not even California now, by more than a dollar nationally. And since the start of this summer. Right. He's inside. Which is weird because I'm looking at the video of him speaking and he's standing outside. He's in, he's in like a, I don't know what this is. It looks like some sort of manufacturing facility or something under construction. It's all dirt. It's like a whole bunch of like, like factory equipment behind him and structures and scaffolding and like these blue barrels with tarps over them. And then there's like a, uh, one of those concrete dividers and it's all covered in dirt and the whole ground is covered in dirt and there's like a whole bunch of stacked up stuff that looks like panels they almost look like mattresses but it's outside so it wouldn't be mattresses and then you look around his shoulders and he's got like the little pixelation thing going on i think he's in front of a green screen i think they i think they have him standing in front of a green screen here i don't know this I'm just saying I'm, I just played the soundbite because he's saying today's inflation report shows progress. So increased inflation is progress to him. 2% additional on top of the previous highs of 8% before that and all that, like 11% in, if you're in counting different categories. right? And you, it just keeps compounding. But he's going to say 2%. Yeah, look at that. It's only 2%. No, it's 2% on top of everything else that we've already cooked in. Overall, inflation was 2% over the last three months. That's progress. That's not progress, you idiot. Sorry. That's not progress. Progress is that it's not another 8%. That it's growing more slowly, but it's still growing at 2% on top of all of the big increases. That this is It's like compound interest here. This is compounding. It just keeps adding to the principal. And so a 2% increase on a larger principle is more money. It's a bigger nut. Good grief. But I think they have him in front of a green screen here. Although he is squinty. He's squinting very much. So maybe, I don't know, maybe he is outside. But I don't hear any kind of outside noise going on here. I don't know. It's, I, I just played the soundbite just because I saw it and... Uh, I mean, this idea is that this is progress is just ridiculous. Um, oh, and by the way, we saw today, uh, apparently the Saudis have responded to the Biden administration's uh, temper tantrum over uh, OPEC not opening up the oil more. In fact, doing the opposite, that they're going to cut production. And the administration said that they're going to you know, reassess its uh, uh, relationship with the Saudis. And Saudi Arabia put out a statement 
indicating that uh, the Biden administration sought a deferral for the OPEC move um, until after the midterm election. So please, please don't restrain the oil supply until after November. That's what they asked for. And the Saudis and the OPEC nations said no, obviously. Now, there is a solution here, of course. The solution would be for us to tell the Saudis to pound sand, and we don't need you anymore because we're going to make our own energy, which we can and we're doing, uh, we, but uh, we apparently are not going to take that path. Uh, instead, we're just going to uh, watch it get worse and worse. So you got the economic numbers that came out. They're not good. Um, and you got the crime numbers that came out. They're not good. Uh, in fact, here you go. This is uh, New York Post. The Murder Express is running local. Killings in the New York City subway system since 2020 have skyrocketed to the highest annual levels in 25 years, even amid plummeting ridership numbers. So this is this is pretty interesting. The, the subway has fewer riders now. People aren't riding the subway, yet they have more murders. And by the way, they may be connected. Dr. Dorothy Schultz, a professor emerita of law and police studies from John Jay College, said the low ridership numbers could be why so much violence is happening in the underground. Because you have fewer people on the trains. Subways are safer when there are more legitimate riders, right? Safety in numbers. So if you have fewer people, the criminals know nobody's going to stop me. Which then, of course, now more people don't want to get on the subway and then it just creates this this uh, just downward spiral. So that's happening in New York City, right? I know, and we all know. Like the yes, the person who is to blame for the crime spike in the subways of New York City is obviously Ron DeSantis. That is what we all know. Obviously, all right. Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, tonight at 8 o'clock, Talktoberfest, because it's a Thursday in October. That's what we do here at WBT. Presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams South Park. It is the latest episode of WBT's Talktoberfest 2022. 8 o'clock tonight on our Facebook page, the WBT Facebook page. We'll be doing our uh, live stream. I will be... uh, uh, chatting with uh, Vince Coakley will be your hosts in the dunk booth and uh, the chat comment box will be open for everybody. So you can, you know, come on in, chat, ask questions. And uh, I try to, uh, you know, it's sort of, I, I treat these like uh, an ask me anything. I do a live stream every Thursday. And so this is sort of like what I do. It's uh, and so I'm going to be bringing my crowd, my Pete Nicks, they're going to be with me. It's just heads up. They like talking about food. Dinner and stuff. I don't know why. That's what they do. So if you see somebody talking about food in the comment section, that's probably one of my people. (laughs) But we'd love to see you there. Come on over to the Facebook page uh, every Thursday night uh, for the Talktoberfest 2022. So uh, this is a a, a tweet thread uh, that was published the other day from a a fellow named Ethan S. Corey. And uh, pointing out... Uh, Some of the things that we need to keep in mind with the crime stats. Okay, the release of new FBI crime data came out this week. And 
Um, you know, this is uh, it, it's you know it's important. The crime stats are important, especially because this is like an election issue. But we don't want to look at it too much because it might lead people to conclude that uh, you know Democrat-run cities might not be uh, faring very well. So we don't want to. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to like impugn entire cities based on their crime rates. So uh, crime data is often manipulated for political purposes, which has helped feed a profound disconnect in public perceptions of crime. Corey says the majority of Americans reported that they believe crime has increased nearly every year between 1990 and 2020, according to Gallup opinion polling. But in reality, violent crime fell during all but seven of those years. Okay, so over a 30-year span, violent crime has declined in 23 years. In seven years, violent crime went up. Property crime fell in 28 of the 30 years. It went up in two. Right? That's a that's a 30-year trend line. And by the way, this is why the same position I have like on polling, I have on the crime data. Same thing, which is I'm more interested in the trend line because if you're doing, you know, if you're doing uh, bad data collection, but you're doing it consistently bad in the same way, following the same methods over a long period of time, you can develop a trend line. Granted, you may be doing it badly and you're not getting, you know, precise or even accurate data to make conclusions off of, but you are getting a trend line. And if that trend line starts moving in, you know, up or down or doing something kind of wacky, then you might go take a look and see what's causing it to move, right? Just stands to reason. Same thing with polling, right? If you're seeing, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're constantly putting polls out in the field and you're, you know, oversampling Democrats, uh, you're asking loaded questions or whatever. You're, you're doing the same sort of methodology over and over and over again, and then you you look at the trend line on that, and you see a big break towards Republicans. There's probably something there, right? Okay, back to this uh, uh, this tweet storm, which is what they used to call it before they called it a thread. Anyway, uh, because the vast majority of crimes never get reported to police, crime data is never a perfect reflection of crime. Surveys, okay, so... Because crime is going down, but keep in mind, most crimes are never reported, so it's actually a lot higher. But people's perception of crime is off based on the statistics that are reported, which apparently are too low. So would that make people's perception of crime more accurate? Okay. Uh, Surveys suggest more than 50% of violent crimes and 70% of property crimes are never even reported. Numbers are even higher for crimes like sexual assault. Even when crimes are reported to police, it doesn't mean that they submit accurate data to the FBI. The FBI only audits crime reports from local agencies when the agencies request it, which doesn't happen often. Many states don't perform checks to ensure accurate reporting at all. Right. So, of course, yes, you have all of these agencies that are reporting and you uh, you you can't ride herd on all of it. So, yes, if you've got agencies that are reporting it differently or they're reporting it incorrectly, yes, you're going to have some problems in the data. Absolutely. It's not going to be pristine. But it does give us a look at the trend line. And right now the trend line looks like it's going up, which I know is not helpful 
for a particular political party in power, particularly when the other one is making it an election issue. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.